I really don't know where I was. It, it, it felt like a dark cave somewhere in Islamabad, um, but that's just a guess. And thanks to the tenacity and generosity of, of Mike, um, I have been rescued um, by a gentleman resembling Liam Neeson. I don't know how you did it, but uh, I am uh, comedian Dave Lerman, former prodigy of Sam Kennison, Howard Stern regular, uh, and uh, some would call the world's greatest showman, ready for part two of our interview that uh, almost didn't happen. But but thank you, Mike, for, uh, you know, usually don't negotiate with terrorists, but for me, you did, and it worked, and for that... Uh, thank I'm you so day. much, Dave, for that, and uh, I'm glad that I was able to, to help you out and uh, I'm glad to see and hear that you're still in one piece. So um, my very first question for you is, you had mentioned uh, that you are a Howard Stern regular, and that's something... Well, I was a Howard Stern regular for quite some time, and I'll be going back uh, in July. Uh, my new book comes out... Um, and it's got a new title. It's called How Reality TV Destroyed the Entertainment Industry and How uh, One of Its Hosts May... Uh, wait, i got to get the exact title because it just changed on Friday. Um, how Reality TV Destroyed the Entertainment Industry and May Destroy the Presidency. That's the exact title because something a lot of people don't know is that uh, I, uh, I formerly worked for Donald Trump for Trump University and also on The Apprentice. That's actually really, really cool. Um, is there anything that you can tell us about your time with uh, working for Mr. Trump? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, when uh, I, I got the job, uh, it was in uh, 2005, and I was so excited because um, it was a three-day event for Trump University, and it was essentially um, a recruitment rally. And Friday they had the training, and I was was I had auditioned for the World Series of Pop Culture for VH1. And 300,000 people auditioned. So my chances were 16 in 300,000 because they only picked 16 contestants. And they told everybody, if you don't receive a phone call for, from us by such and such date, uh, you didn't make the cut. So that Friday was that date. And I hadn't gotten a phone call, but I had done a really good audition. Um, and I was at the Staples Center um, where the event took place. And I had my cell phone. Uh, remember the old Blackberries oh, yeah. with the uh, keyboard on them? Uh, and, and it was, uh, it was 437. Um, and I'm thinking, if this call doesn't come in the next 23 minutes, uh, I didn't make the cut. And I was on borrowed time as far as game shows because I had been on, you know, 22. Um, and you're only supposed to be on three in your lifetime. <laughs> and at 4.37, my phone rang, and um, I said... I know we're not supposed to take phone I said to Donald Trump, who is doing the training, I said, I know we're not supposed to take phone calls, but this is a New York area code, and the caller ID says VH1, and I think I made the World Series of Pop Culture, and if anybody knows the value of money, it's you, Mr. Trump, and if I did, I could win a quarter of a million dollars. So he says, take the call. So I put it on speakerphone, and lo and behold, it was uh, Michael Davies, a producer who wants to be a millionaire, 
uh, who produced the World Series of Pop Culture, and said, is this Dave Lerman? And I said, yes. And I said, believe it or not, I'm standing right next to Donald Trump. And Michael Davies says, no way. And I put him on the phone, and Donald said, this better be important, because I don't let any of my trainees talk on cell phones while I'm training them. And Michael Davies says, well, I'll let you give Dave the good news. He made the World Series of Pop Culture, and he's coming to New York in July to uh, compete against 15 other people for a quarter of a million dollars. And I got Donald Trump to tell me that. And I even pushed the envelope a little further. I said, I said I'm so excited. Uh, I just can't hide it. Can I please call my mom and tell her that I made the World Series of Pop Culture? Because I was never good at any sports, and I'm not good at poker, so I didn't think I'd ever make the World Series of anything. And Donald Trump um, let me call my mom. And so it started on a really positive note, and then um, the event started the second, uh, the Saturday uh, at 7 a.m. We had to be there, and I was in charge of the fun police, uh, and what it was is it was uh, they had gathered uh, Anthony Robbins, uh, Deepak Chopra, Magic Johnson, Russell Simmons, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, the you know rich dad, poor dad, all these like um, sort of motivational speakers, um, real estate experts, and uh, it cost five thousand dollars to go to the two day seminar. But one of the biggest selling points was that you would learn how to become a millionaire. You'd find out about Trump University, and somebody would walk out of there with a prize worth a million dollars. And that's where the punchline of this amazing story comes. Um, and it's funny because uh, until my book comes out, uh, your listeners, my doctor, and my mom, and uh, Donald Trump are the only people that know this story. So the first day was supposed to be an eight-hour day. It turned into a 12-hour day. And what it basically was, and it was really strange because you had, like, these amazing speakers like Anthony Robbins, and then he was followed by Nathan Osmond. Like, you know the Osmond brothers, you know, Donnie and Marie? Yeah, Nathan Osmond is actually a real estate mogul. Um, And, well... What my job was, um, as part of the fun police, um, as we were given cash, iPods, all kinds of prizes, uh, I almost killed somebody with a T-shirt gun. It was the first and only time I've ever used a T-shirt gun. Um, so what would happen is, like, Anthony Robbins would talk for 45 minutes, and then he would pitch, like, his... Uh, DVDs, his motivational um, books on tape, um, his seminars in in other parts of the country, um, and then people would have 45 minutes to go and purchase um, his products. So they had basically paid five thousand dollars for an opportunity to spend more money. So during this time, they needed people to entertain the crowd. And since I'm so good at trivia, um, it was me and six of probably the hottest Latina girls you'd ever see, but as beautiful as they were, um, their IQ, uh, I would put at the level of the most mentally challenged person you've ever met. But they were very nice to look at, and um, says Mr. Trump's been married three times. Uh, you know, pretty girl sell. So um, we would, we would, um, you know, give away prizes and and things like that in between the speakers and everything. And every single one of the speakers, um, like if, if they were scheduled to start at two, like Russell Simmons was scheduled to start at two, um, I. I 
I know this is a come off racist, but there's a term. It's called CPT. I can't you know what say that term means? That I do. The slang term is called colored oh. people time. And it's an old school term, but it basically says that African Americans are always late. So Russell Simmons is scheduled to come on at 2 o'clock, and his limo doesn't get there until 2.45. So it turned into a day of just me and these these beautiful girls just stretching, uh, you know, and filling up content. So um, by Sunday, uh, Donald Trump was the final speaker, and he... Um, the funny thing was I did this two years in a row. <laughs> uh, and and uh, the first year was the announcement that he had partnered with the Learning Annex. Do you remember yeah. the Learning Annex? Yeah, you know how they do but have, like, classes, like uh, how to uh, get into the greeting card business. So he partnered with the Learning Annex, and he announced that he was opening Trump University, which is all in the news these days. Um and everybody's waiting for the big million-dollar giveaway. <laughs> and uh, it was my job to give away the million dollars. Now, I get, I, it's, uh, let's see, about, again, about uh, 5.30. And it was supposed to end at 5, uh, but everything was running late. And I get this script... And I get a Halliburton briefcase, an envelope, and a script. And to summarize, the script basically says, uh, and it gave suggestions, um, but you as a, as a performer, as a comedian, you know, uh, you got improv a lot. But this script basically relied on improving a lot because the whole script was geared for them to pick the briefcase, okay? And um, what the contest was is um, out of a fishbowl, we uh, had one of the girls pick out a seat number. Whoever was in that seat, because at the Staples Center, you know, at, at you know these uh, big seminars, they have, you know, loads, rows, rows of seats. Um, and this guy comes up, and we picked his seat. Uh, I say, um, and I'm par paraphrasing because let me tell you something, Mike. They took one. They kept coming up to me and saying, "Have you memorized the script yet?" Right? And I said, well, "Why can't I just hold on to it?" And they go, "We need it back." Right? <laughs> so um, I memorized what I needed to say, and basically, um, the the gist was to steer people towards the briefcase. And the choices were you could take the envelope and the envelope could have uh, an American Express gold card worth a million dollars, a deed to a house. It could, you know, have a check for a million dollars. Uh, behind the curtain could be a, a brand new car worth a million dollars. Uh, this Halliburton briefcase could have anything from $1 to a million dollars, but I can tell you one thing. I don't know what's in the envelope. I don't know what's behind the curtain, but I know this briefcase because I opened it myself. Definitely has a lot of cash in it. Okay. <laughs> and the funny thing was, Mike, um, since for, I didn't pay $5,000, but me and my friend John, uh, John was actually selling the merchandise. You know, um, if I would have paid $5,000 for this dog and pony show, I would have been a little disappointed. But the crowd was pretty happy. They put on a good show. So, um, I, uh, and uh, so the guy, I didn't even have to say anything other than I opened the briefcase. Now, I opened the briefcase, and I happened to know the briefcase had $1,000 bills in it. It looked impressive, but when you're promised a million-dollar prize and the briefcase has $1,000 bills, guess what that means? 
Yeah. You just lost $4,000 because you paid 5000 to get in. Um, to, I'm not saying I did this, but I figured, because I'd read the script, hypothetically, and you know Dave Letterman, um, if you were Dave Letterman and you had this briefcase and you happened to have to go to the bathroom, um, and it wasn't locked, of course, because, you know, if the person picked the briefcase, yeah. they would open it, right? <laughs> so let's just say there was a good possibility, knowing that the script said it could be anything from $1 to a million dollars, the person picking the briefcase wouldn't notice that there was some money missing. <laughs> so I don't know. I think the guy might have gotten $900, $1 bills instead oh. of 1000 But I'm just saying that's what <laughs> might have happened. But I, if you think that's bad, um, if they would have picked yeah. the curtain, right? Behind the curtain, there was a Rolls Royce with a solid gold grill, which would have been a million-dollar car, right? But... They didn't win the car. If they would have taken the curtain, they won a one-year lease of the Rolls Royce. Okay, and guess what was in the envelope? Was it was it the um, million dollars? No, um, it was the. It, it sort of looked like the deed to a house, right? But it, it was. Uh, have you ever heard of, of Star Island in Florida, like Gloria Stefan, oh, yeah. uh, P. Diddy, a lot, a lot of the big yeah. Florida celebrities live there? Um, and and you, you can only get to it by boat, Sylvester Stallone has a house there. So in the envelope, if you first looked at it, because... Like I said, I, I went and I checked everything. I checked the, the briefcase and everything. Cause sure, I'm sure. Dave Lerman. You know, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. you know, when I got to lose him, uh, he literally was paying minimum wage, which was eight dollars and fifteen cents. And she, no, it was seven seventy five. Uh, and and even though we worked over eight hours, he didn't. Pay, he wasn't paying overtime because we were independent contractors. So I'm figuring there's no rules. So in the envelope, at first I'm like, holy God, this is a deep, this must be, you know, the big prize. It was a one-year rental of a house on Star Island, but you had to put down a $200,000 security deposit to take occupancy. So no matter what, he couldn't wow. lose. <laughs> so a lot of your listeners are probably thinking, wow, that's a smart businessman. But a lot of your listeners are probably thinking, man, what a screw yeah. job. <laughs> but it feels good to, to, to share it. Uh, people who I do share with my doctor, my mom, uh, they get, oh, uh, oh, my banker too. I told uh, my banker the other day, because um, I still have my uh, uh, Trump University T-shirt that on the back says "Chief of the Fun Police." Wow! <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, how, how do you feel about uh, what's going on? Uh, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, which I, you know, thinking uh, Europe the collapse of uh, the euro with uh, Britax. And Donald Trump's in Scotland opening a golf course. And I made the, I made a joke earlier today. Uh, unfortunately, now I'm doing my comedy at Kroger's, the supermarket. <laughs> but I made a joke earlier today. I said, you know, I think even Donald Trump in the back of his head is thinking, you know, because he's is way ahead in the polls. Um, I think in the back of his head, he's thinking, you know, if I don't win, I better have something to fall back on. And everybody loves to play golf, especially the Scottish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Not even a little laugh. (laughs) 
I'm trying. Oh, no, no. I'm so, trying. So, so you're okay. So, um, so basically, is Donald Trump, uh, what is he like behind the scenes? What, what can you tell us? Uh, I, like ahead. I said, I, I, I talked to him twice um, on, the, on The Apprentice. He was a complete dick. Um, and Penn Jillette, uh, if you Google Donald Trump and Penn Jillette, Penn Jillette wrote a scathing, I mean, a scathing expose oh, I remember on that. Donald yeah. Trump. Um, yeah, and, you know, you know it's interesting, um, and I think your listeners will, I like to, I like to educate people. I mean, my, my New Year's resolution was to, uh, Try and make somebody smile every day of this year. So, um, but I also like to educate. Um, what's interesting uh, is the Apprentice. The original premise, uh, uh, the premise, the original, yeah. the one with Amorosa. Yeah, you remember when it first started? Was they took just eight regular people who were you know, financially strapped. And there, there were a lot of shows like that. I went on a game show called Debt. And you know what the prize was? It was hosted by Chuck Woolery. Yeah. They paid off your debt. Like if you, owe, if, if, if you had a college loan or you had the power company, they paid up your debt up to $5,000. Um, oh. I, I didn't win. But I didn't have that much debt. So, um, But uh, on The Apprentice, it originally started as, um, you know, a show for somebody to become, you know, Donald Trump's apprentice. And the guy who won, Bill Rancic, do you know what he does for a living now? I can't say that I do. He, he, he started in a reality show with his wife, Julianne Rancic, who's an entertainment reporter, on oh. entertainment television. So the, the the first winner of The Apprentice won the fact that he gets a star. He was supposed to actually like be second in command at at Trump Enterprises because there was no Trump University then. And then NBC, the ratings were so bad, they were going to cancel it. And that's when they came up with the idea of Celebrity Apprentice. But if you think about it, that's the complete opposite of the intentions of the show because a celebrity is already successful. So what do they need to be an apprentice for? So the money went to charity and it kind of breathed a second life into it. And I think the funniest thing is in September, the reboot of The Apprentice starts. And you know who's hosting it? I'll give you a hint. Yep, the former governor of California and adulterer with his maid, Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) So uh, to talk about, uh, it looks like it's going to be Hillary versus Trump for the presidency. And the former Terminator and governor of California is now hosting the Celebrity Apprentice in September. Um, I just read something. Uh, Vince Neal uh, is one of the contestants. And um, uh, can, I, can I do a spoiler sure. alert? They already filmed it, and uh, Vince wins. Oh, wow. And, and he wins. So. <laughs> yeah, Vince is a nice so, guy. So... Uh, I, I, but, oh, oh, gosh, I didn't even think of this. Did you know Vince Neal's a, a, a convicted know. murderer? Yeah, he, um, he, uh, it was vehicular manslaughter back in the mid-80s, and he killed the lead singer of, um, I could Google it, but uh, you guys out there can Google it, but just Google Vince Neal vehicular manslaughter. Uh, I just I'm trying to think of the, I think it might have been Hanoi Rocks, but it was it was some, it was some like metal band. 
but he was driving drunk and he killed uh, this this other musician. And the funniest thing is, you, you see my photo collection. Um, he got off, um, he had to pay a big fine, and um, they suspended his sentence, which when he had to stay out of trouble or else he would go to jail. Um, but one of the conditions was that he couldn't drink. And I'll never forget, um, it was the first time we played Bally's with Sam Kinison. And Wild Thing was a really big hit. So Sam always would have like an all-star band do the encore. And, and they would they'd play like songs like Highway to Hell and Wild Thing and different songs. But um, we um, go into Bally's, me and Doug Beatty, my late comedy partner, and this is, you know, shortly after this guy kills somebody drunk driving, right? And guess who the first person we Donald see Trump. sitting at the bar? Drink. Oh, Vince Neil. Vince Neil, who was then married to Sharice, who was a mud wrestler at the Tropicana, and sitting next to him drinking is Tommy Lee, and sitting next to him was his wife at the time, uh, Heather Locklear. Uh, I don't know if you remember her. She was on uh, T.J. Hooker. She was like one of the original yeah. blonde bombshells. Um, she was sort of like Pamela Anderson, but with smaller breasts. Mm. But she was very pretty. But I actually have a picture of me, Doug, Vince, Sharice, Tommy, and Heather at the bar at Bally's. And like I said, one of the conditions was he wasn't supposed to drink. And here he is taking pictures at a bar. <laughs> oh, I tell you one thing, Mike. I am never at a loss for stories. <laughs> I have oh, lived one colorful like it. life. Um, so basically, what advice could you give to someone who um, basically would want to do what what you want to do? Because you are a man of also many talents. Well, I, I mean, we have, well, I, I mean, I was a showman, so I, you know, I, I did everything. I mean, I, you know, I, I did acting, I did stand-up comedy, I did. Um, but if, if, if you want, if, if, if you're asking for somebody to get into the entertainment industries, um, this is going to sound strange. My advice, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some kind of bizarre advice first, and then I'll give you some very, okay. very practical advice. Um, so the bizarre advice is break all the rules you can because that's what they look for in Hollywood. They look for somebody who stands out. Um, last night uh, I watched, they revived um, one, two, three, three um, old game shows. Uh, to tell the truth, twenty thousand dollar pyramid and match game, and um, so I watched all three. Alec Baldwin is hosting the match game. Michael Strathen took Dick Clark's place, hosting the twenty thousand dollar pyramid, and Anthony Anderson um, is hosting to tell the truth. And it's so funny because. Um, one of the earlier books I wrote was how to get on a TV game show. And they're doing the contestant, uh, introductions. And I'm sitting there watching with my mom. And I said, I go, mom, I bet she's going to say she's from someplace with a really, really weird sounding name. And then she's going to tell a ridiculous anecdote. And lo and behold, she was from like Walla Walla, Washington, and she had 27 pets with names like Nubber, um, Botox, uh, I mean, just the most ridiculous names. And then the other contestant, uh, she was from a place that had to be made up because it was like a state, a city and a city in Missouri with no vowels. So she sort of just bumbled the city name, okay? And then uh, Alex, 
uh, said to her, um, you have an interesting addiction. You know, I'm, I'm one of the Baldwin brothers, and, you know, we've had our share of addiction problems, but uh, you have one of the strangest addictions I've ever heard of. And my mom's laughing because, you know, I just told her textbook exactly how they were going to act, you know. Uh, and she said, yes, I'm addicted to double stuffed Oreos. <laughs> and they had the celebrities. Uh, oh, my God, Mike. Um, I'll just tell you, the most well-known celebrity of the six. Yeah, you remember Gene, the Omaskin, right? Are you too young? Gene Rayburn, right. Um, what I loved about that was like Richard Dawson, who was always drunk, and like Charles Nelson Riley, who was just like, you know, very, very effeminate. And, you know, or they would have like Paul Lynn or Marsha Wallace or Artie Johnson. I mean, a real, real talent. On um, the celebrities last night, the biggest. So uh, the biggest celebrity uh, is Donald Trump's worst enemy, uh, former TV talk show host and stand-up comic. Rosie? Who do you think it was? Rosie O'Donnell? A woman. That's right, Rosie O'Donnell. Then uh, they had um, comedian J.B. Smooth. Yeah, he does the uh, last comic standing. Yep, yep, yep. But see, he was acting. He was acting like he was acting like RuPaul, but RuPaul not in drag, which I thought was really weird. Then they had, um, oh man, I'm talking like, uh, um, oh, uh, Michael Ian Black, um, who I kind of like, but his gimmick was. Every answer he gave, the contestant lost because they were all like a-hole answers. You know, they were like insult answers. Um, so it was, I'm just trying to visualize in my head because I only lasted two questions. And I just said, I'm going to go wait for John Oliver to come on. Um, oh, yeah. Um, they had Titus O'Neil, who's a wrestler. They had Rosie O'Donnell. Then they had Michael Ian Black. Then on the bottom row, they had Sutton Foster, who is a Broadway star that nobody knows, uh, but you did win a Tony for Anything Goes. Then they had J.B. Smooth, and then uh, you'd see how forgettable it was. Um, who was the... Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, can, sure. I, can I phone a friend? All right. Hang on. <laughs> yes. The magic of editing, folks. Oh, this um, is I'm not, not, no, no, no. This is not going to, going to, to be edited. At a this, this, this part right. will not. Hey, we're going to rock. Mom, do you remember, besides Rosie O'Donnell, Titus O'Neill, Michael Ian Black, J.B. Smooth, Sutton Foster, who was the sixth celebrity, the one that was sitting underneath Titus O'Neil and next to the effeminate black guy? Who, who, who's the one I'm forgetting? No, there was Sutton Foster, Rosie O'Donnell. No, there's Michael Ian Black. Um, I guess phony a friend. Hey, Mrs. Failed. Learman. Well, I guess that's going to be the mystery. Now, you know what? i tell you what, Mike. Whoever emails you, right, um, who the uh, sixth of the five panelists we named on the uh, premiere of Alec Baldwin's match game is going to win a Dave Lemon prize pack. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay, so now the practical advice about um, the entertainment industry. Uh, the biggest mistake people make um, uh, when when they're trying to um, uh, get a break or make it um, is choosing a bad team. And I can tell you the exact secret on how to choose a good team. 
anybody, whether it's an agent, um, a manager, um, Deborah Messing. casting director, if they charge you, if they ask for money, run. Run as far as you can because that means they're not legitimate because you're going to want an agent that believes in you so well, by law, they can't charge you. They take 15% of what you make, which gives them more incentive to get you booked. Um, so you're going to want to choose a really good agent. Oh, no, 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 no. That, that was Sutton Foster. Deborah Messing, I think, is, um, who, is who you're thinking. So, uh, what? Uh, Deborah Messing. Who was it? Yes. Deborah Messing, right, from Will and Grace. Oh, wow, oh. like you win a Dave Lerman prize pack. And you know what? That's kind of a step down for her because she did a movie with Gerard Butler, um, and, and, and Will and yeah. Grace was huge. But there's been a, uh, not, I, well, I'm the king of digression, so I always going to shift off topic, but I will get back to, 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 uh, business advice. But I wanted to ask you, um, what you thought of. Did you have a chance to see, um, Maya Rudolph oh, yes, and yes. Martin Short's variety show? I thought, well, first think? off, Martin Short is like one of the funniest human beings that I've ever seen, pretty much. Um, his character of Jiminy Glick is just absolutely brilliant. I've heard him describe it as uh, he likes um, portraying a stupid person with power because that's really what fascinates him. And uh, that, that's kind of what, what he was going for with um, Jiminy Glick. And so that part, I mean, yeah. Martin Short is just a one-man comedy show. So... Yeah, yeah um, did you know he started the producers? I did. With Jason I did. Alexander um, on yeah. Broadway. What? Yeah, he's a, and he's also a very talented. He's song just and dance so man. talented. Yeah, I, you, you know uh, he was on Saturday Night Live, and that's where like Ed Grimley and such. But you you know what? I think he did his best work, Mike, okay. on Second City. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Andrea Martin was just uh, nominated for a Tony. She didn't win. But when you think about all the talent that came from Second City, John Candy, Rick Moranis, Dave Thomas, Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, exactly. Um, what um, What's your opinion of the, because there's been a lot of controversy of the upcoming all-female reboot, all reboot of Ghostbusters. Yeah, it stars Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, uh, Leslie Williams, and Chris Hemsworth sort of playing the uh, Rick Moranis, <laughs> Annie Potts role. And it's directed by Paul Feig, who did Bridesmaids. And I like I Paul Feig a lot. But universally, people have seen it, said it's yeah. one of the worst movies ever, and has ruined the Ghostbusters wow. franchise. Yeah, I, I can just imagine what Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd are just thinking about it when they were told this. Hey, we're going to make a female version of one of the most popular movies ever with, with you guys in it. I would have loved to have seen, seen their reaction. Right. Yeah. It, um, I don't know if you remember, one of my favorite comedies oh, of all yes. time was Caddyshack. Uh, Ted Knight, Rodney Dangerfield, Chevy Chase. They made a sequel to that uh, with Jackie Mason Ooh. and Dan Aykroyd. And it was one of the worst movies ever made. I, I think sequels as a rule... Um, Basically, that's why I'm skittish, so I'm going to ask you, uh, you think I should see the, the, the new, new Independence Day? Day? I mean, the trailers look kind of good. I'm going to say no, no. Yeah, because I did make the mistake of going to see Now You See oh. Me, Now You Don't too, and I walked <laughs> out. It was that bad. And I, and I don't, I don't usually walk out of movies. 
you know, I, I usually will sit through it just so I can. That's another piece of advice that I can give to uh, aspiring entertainers. Um, even by watching bad entertainment, it's a good thing because you can learn what not to do. Oh, there you go. So that's another good piece of advice. Um, and another thing, too, um, specifically for comedians, two things to avoid. Open mic nights, because nobody gets discovered at open mic nights anymore. Um, and also anything, um, they're called bringers or pay to play, where they'll give you a 15 minute shot and you have to bring 10 people and there's like a two drink minimum or a cover. Stay far, far away. Um, if you're in Los Angeles or New York, um, my advice would be have the balls because the worst thing that can happen is the person will say no, call the police or slam the door in your face. Go right to a Bud Friedman. Go right to a Mitzi Shore. Go right to, you know, um, somebody at the top. Go to a Ryan Seacrest. And by hook or by crook, whatever method it takes, just Get yourself 90 seconds with a person who is very successful and it will work wonders because they'll respect the fact that you had enough. There's a Yiddish word for it that my late father used to use a lot. It's called chutzpah. Um, and, you know, a lot of people think that Jews were in Hollywood, but a lot of very successful uh Movie studio executives and television executives are Jewish, and, and they use that word a lot, chutzpah. And the one thing people respect, I know, I know for a fact that um, Roseanne, during her heyday, hired a lot of people simply because they um, didn't follow, you know, the procedure by, you know... There's, you know, there's like what you're supposed to do and, you know, submit this and do that. Um, and, and entertainment, and, and you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of very, very, very successful people. Um, I think my best teacher was Howard Stern. Um, and Howard Stern became uh, a oh, yeah. multi-multi-millionaire by being unconventional and breaking the rules. So, um, and I think in a lot of ways, people ask me, you know, what's the secret to my success? Um, when I started to do a comedy act that had a two foot six, 80 pound, uh, wheelchair bound little person with muscular dystrophy who hated Jerry Lewis, that got people's attention. And like I said, uh, I think in the first part of our interview, that, that wasn't even our darkest bit. We did two other bits. One, um, Doug would come out dressed as a devil worshiper with horns and a pentagram and a Slayer t-shirt. And, um, our, our, our sets basically always revolved around a long setup by me or Sam Kinison or Howard Stern and Doug with a one-line punchline. So the uh, devil worshiper one was, uh, I, I would go into this whole thing about how the Lord is so great and uh, Jesus is such a wonderful being and all this how can you, how can you worship the prince of darkness? How can you, how can you spend your life looking forward to an eternity in hell? And I build it up like that. And uh, Doug would take the microphone and he would just say, hey, if you came out looking like this, wouldn't you side with the other guy? <laughs> and half of the audience would um, be laughing hysterically. And the other half would just have this look of sheer horror on their face. And then another dark bit we used to do was I would put Doug on my lap 
and do the world's worst ventriloquist act. And it would just be Doug swearing at me, trying to convince me that he was a real person and not a, a ventriloquist dummy, and to get my hand out of his ass looking for a string. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not the most highbrow comedy, yeah. but I will tell you this, Mike, to this day, uh, two things. One, um, our comedy talking about, you know, hating Jerry Lewis and what a fraud he was. Uh, there's no Jerry Lewis teletime anymore. Uh, <laughs> so that says volumes about that. And to this day, uh, with the exception of, I think, is it Chris Fonseca who won last Comic Standing? Uh, no, Josh, um, uh, Josh, I forget his last name, but he, he, he had a disability. Um, I think he might have had Bell's palsy, but, um, Doug Beatty, I think, will go down in history as being the most successful disabled comedian because uh, others have tried Jerry Jewell. There really has, has never been, you know, we played Madison Square Gardens. We played Las Vegas. We played Atlantic City. We toured the world. Um, and for a guy who wasn't expected to live past 20 because that's, you know, with that condition, his brother died at 15, you know, uh, Doug living till 29 and, and the life we led, is, uh, looking back, that's, I, yeah. that's a hell of an accomplishment. I, mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, there, there is one thing that you did that I really have to just comment on that, uh, when when you and Doug were with uh, Howard Stern, there's one gag that Howard did. He would place Doug inside of a trunk and then just be on the side of the street. Mm -hmm. And when people opened it up, Doug would be crying, help, help, as if someone was actually trapping him or, or kidnapping him. And I just thought that was so funny. That That definitely sounds like a Howard Stern thing. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was um, how Howard was uh, was. We actually we we did that same bit uh, in six countries. We did it in London. We did it in Australia. We did it in uh, Bali. We did it in Canada and a couple of other places. But I agree with you that that. Um, and it was funny because it was like a hybrid. It was a little bit, you know, Alan Fun, candid yeah. camera, you know, candid camera, because people didn't know they were being filmed. Um, and, and now, you know, you got like that show, What Would You Do with George Quinones? Um, that bit wasn't just funny, but it really showed, especially when we did it uh, in New York with Howard, just how ambivalent people were because, you know, you remember just people just walked right on by and he was screaming at the top of his lungs, help me, help me. And I think one guy put a quarter on the trunk and finally a family from Switzerland, of, of, all, of all things, a little girl from Switzerland opened up the trunk and she saw Doug and it was like, and she started screaming, but they came up to Howard's studio and, uh, and actually, uh, uh, I've, uh, I keep in contact with them over Facebook and they still say to this day, uh, cause they were fans of Howard Stern and they're vacationing in New York. And the fact that they got to come up and meet Howard, that that was one of the highlights of their lives. So, yeah, I really appreciate the fact that you uh, that that you noticed that. But I agree with you. I think that 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 because it, it just it had so many facets. And these days, um, Eddie Brill, uh, who used to be the uh, talent mm -hmm. coordinator for David Letterman, um, he actually made a comment that I'll share with you. Um, I don't know if you keep up with. YouTube, but the level of what people are putting on YouTube and calling it comedy or entertainment, you know, it's gotten to the point where 
it's so litigious and some of this stuff is so borderline illegal, you can't call it a practical joke. You have to call it a social experiment. But it's not even that. It's just, it's, you know, the jackass guys, I think after they did what they did, that whole practical joker thing kind of jumped the shark. Um, but uh, Eddie Brill uh, said in, uh, in uh, my previous book, he said, uh, Dave was so ahead of his time. Uh, this was pre-YouTube when people weren't acting for the Internet. They were being frank and in the moment. Most of the stuff these days is made specifically with YouTube in mind. And, and I think that goes for comedians, too, because when I go to a comedy club and, and I see a comedian set, the comedian's not trying to be funny. He's more trying to, you know, sort of catch the wave of what's, what's topical and, and not be himself. And the, the, the most successful comedians, the Robin Williams, the uh, Jim Carrey, um, Rodney Dangerfield, all their comedy, Sam Kinison, uh, all their com Louis C.K., all their comedy came from personal experience. I mean, you know, how I just it, it, it's a shame because, like like me and you, we both we really respect the art of comedy, and and to see people just bastardize it. And that, that's why, to me, YouTube has is, is, is gotten fascinating because uh, they've monetized it. So um, now um, there's a system where if you break their terms of service, um, you get three strikes and then you're banned. Um, and also, um, if you want to watch it without commercials, you have to pay $10 a month. Um, and literally, I pay the $10 a month. You know why? There was a 20-second video that I had to watch three oh. minutes of commercials to watch wow. the 20-second video. So, and then, um, two, and it's a shame. And, you know, I would hate to be a parent in, in uh, 2016 because... Uh, there's, there's names that, that are, are going to be anything to do, but uh, there's a, uh, the, the new big thing. And I don't know if you, you uh, like, uh, at the beginning, do you remember there was Friendster? And then yes. MySpace came along. And then when Tom became your friend, your yes. first friend was always Tom. Uh, and then Facebook was a game changer. I mean, uh, not just for the internet, but for society in general. It stopped people from actually going out, socializing, uh, you know, meeting their neighbors, uh, going to a store and getting to know your banker, your barber, your waiter. Now, you know, it's all about your relationship status on Facebook and, uh, so many people catfish on Facebook that it really can't even be considered, you know, reality. And then you factor in reality television. And as you know, from our first interview, professional wrestling is more real than reality TV. And even the networks are realizing it. There was a, a great episode of Law and Order, um, where a contestant on a bachelor type show got raped and um, the producers actually played the NYPD uh, as part of the storyline. And in real life, you're seeing, I mean, just things that when I was younger would horrify me, but uh, like trends like, do you Whoa. know what swatting is? Swatting is like, there's a lot of like, it's, it's the weirdest thing too to me because but back when I was in show business, you, you had to have talent, you know, to, to be successful. You had to actually 
work in a craft. Uh, nowadays at the movie theaters, there's nothing original. There's reboots. You know, we didn't need uh, a new RoboCop. We don't need an all-female Ghostbusters. But the worst is on YouTube because there's a whole genre, right, that get like a million hits. And all it is is idiots reacting to other people's videos. So just imagine, like, remember yes. America's Funniest Videos? Okay? I like that show, and I like Bob Saget a lot. Um, but imagine America's Funniest Home Videos, but you've got a guy, while the video's playing, talking about what's wrong or how much he hates the video. And it, they're called reaction videos. And um, uh, these two guys, the Fine Brothers, who are some of the most successful YouTubers, actually tried to trademark the word react um, so that if anybody did a reaction video, they would have to pay the Fine Brothers a royalty. Needless to say, they failed miserably. But just this weekend, um, YouTube completely changed their terms of service. And um, it's almost like the Patriot Act, where they can basically, you know, if they think that you're cyberbullying, if you're being racist or anything like that, they give you three strikes and you're out. And a lot of people make their living on YouTube. Um, you know, Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, they all came from YouTube. That nice young lady, uh, the night before the Orlando massacre, uh, before the voice, she got famous on YouTube. Um, and what's, what's scary nowadays is Mike, back, and I'm not even talking that long ago. I'm talking 10 years ago. Ten years ago, you actually had to work and have talent to be rich and famous. Now, all you need is a cell phone and an app, and if you just happen to come up with a hashtag or, uh, you know, uh, something like that overnight, and and it's, it's like happening to these 12, 13, and 14-year-old kids, and every single one of them is screwing up. They're either getting involved in drugs or they're soliciting nude selfies. Now, just look at the fact that 10 years ago, if you wanted to make an adult movie, you had to get a crew, you had to get a pretty bulky video camera, even if you wanted to do an amateur one. In 2016, if someone wants to make a porno movie, all they got to do is reach in their pocket and pull out their smartphone. And do you know the average age when people get smartphones? They're Seven getting scared the hell out old. of you. Five years old. Five years old. And now the average age when people become sexually active, oh, yep. 12. Yeah, there's, there's a guy on the internet uh, who's a, a multimillionaire. He's 14 years old. His name is Jacob Santorium. And he is, to me, what Lex Luthor is to Superman. This guy is so untalented. He makes Justin Bieber look like Mozart. Um, and he's got the number one song on iTunes. But a talented comedian that we both like, Bo Burnham, uh, uh, um, is having a hard time, you know, filling arenas, being successful, but yet this uh, uh, shirtless Justin Bieber auto-tuned wannabe is selling out arenas and, and charging $200 for meet and greets, and they've got videos of him being a complete a-hole to his fans who paid $200 to meet him, you know, and that's uh, 
Well, you know, I, 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 you're such a smart man, um, and I always like to, um, you know, get your opinion on things, and I, and I love reading when you post. Um, what's your take on Millennials? Can, can you repeat that? I didn't quite hear you. I guess I need you to speak oh, uh, up. Can you repeat that question? I didn't quite hear you. No, I, I said, what is your take on millennials, which would be people born 30 years oh. ago? So like the people now who are between well, 20 mean, and 30. So I tell my parents, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick in the realm of um, entertainment here, but... Uh, so you so you look at uh, the stars okay. of today and even the movies of today as opposed to uh, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And uh, they didn't have the technology that we have today, and yet they were still able to build out a great film. Um, some of the ones that I like are the uh, old Lon Chaney, um, Boris Karloff, uh, Bella Lugosi. Uh, I just love those old movies, and um, to me, those movies would be more authentic than what is today because you have computers that add things uh, that were not there originally or that were part of the um, script. So, uh, pretty much, um, I just like the authentic thing because. Uh, that's just the kind of person that I am. I try and stay and be as authentic as possible. So um, that's why I kind of don't go to movies that much these days because of that. And um, I... Uh, Half of them are like CGI. And, and I was surprised, you know. Um, I'm not like a big comic book fan, but um, Ant-Man. Yes. Uh, I like Paul Rudd. So I watched that, and Michael Douglas is in it. And they use this CGI process to make it look like, uh, at the beginning of the movie, they wanted to be the, the young Michael Douglas. And it's an amazing technique, but I think what CGI and technology is robbing us entertainment-wise of is quality. Because I would much rather see Mark Ruffalo do a performance than Mark Ruffalo turn into the Hulk and watch essentially a video game. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And um, like you say, I mean, so you basically hit the hit the nail on on the head, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I hope it's changing. I saw, um, I did see two um, superhero movies, that, and I was shocked. And, and I think you'll be surprised that I'm going to say this, but everybody thought it was going to be the worst thing in the world. But I think Ben Affleck made a terrific Batman. I didn't think the movie Batman versus Superman was that great, but I thought Ben Affleck was really good. And like the Avengers, uh, I saw Captain America Civil War. Uh, Robert Downey oh, yeah. Jr. was fantastic. Um, at least with that, you know, they're they're sticking to the good. They're they're keeping good dialogue, and I think in entertainment with movies, TV, especially comedy, um, it's it's the dialogue. It's the it's the context of the material that makes things funny. Like, remember when when Harry met Sally, the famous scene uh, where Meg Ryan uh, fakes the orgasm in the restaurant, and then they cut to the lady, and the lady goes, I'll yeah. have what she's having. That is classic comedy. Or like you said, Boris Karloff or Bella, Bella Lugosi. These guys were master thespians. Because even with the monster makeup, they were such great actors. It wasn't like you were watching Dracula or Bela Lugosi or Boris Karloff. You believe the internal logic like a Marlon Brando. He wasn't Don Corleone or Marlon Brando. 
He was a gangster, and, and or Tony Montana, yeah. Al Pacino, another great actor. I just watched uh, Robert De Niro, the intern. Uh, these are real actors, and then then you got these guys like Kevin Hart, or um, who's the other idiot that that's in every Channing Tatum. These guys can act their way out of a paper bag. And I, I just I, I think the respect for the art is gone, and you know this is a great way to end the interview because I just I just thought of of the best advice. I could give to anybody who wants to be successful in the entertainment industry. And that advice Here it comes, would ladies and gentlemen. To I said, uh, so what? I was basically giving the uh, drum roll of saying, here it comes, ladies and gentlemen, here it is. Yeah, okay, thank you, thank you. Wow, that's a great intro. Um, the uh, the secret to success um, is look at television, movies, comedy today. Just turn on your TV, go to the theater, uh, go to a comedy club, do the exact opposite, and and do what Mike said. Look at the veterans. Look at the guys like Clark Gable, Humphrey Bogart, oh, yeah. Robert Redford, Paul Newman, De Niro. Learn from the masters and let their legacy set the example for the start to your road to success and let proven success be your recipe to make you become your special best and never forget, no matter what anybody tells you, as long as you believe in yourself, you never give up and you work hard. And that's the most important thing because nothing, nothing in this life comes for free. If you work hard and you work hard enough, I'm living proof you can make the impossible possible and any dream you want, Absolutely. you can make it come true. And, uh, and I guarantee it. All right, Mike, it was great having the second part of the interview. Uh, just FYI, as a postscript, <laughs> I wasn't uh, kidnapped. Oh, yeah. I actually uh, had some health problems, but it definitely uh, uh, made for a great story. And, uh, I am very grateful to Mike for letting me share um, my history, my legacy, and if I made just one listener smile or if one piece of advice leads to success, then I've done more than what I've hoped to accomplish. So thank you so much for this opportunity, and I know we'll stay in touch yes. because we've become friends. And I will talk All right, to you thank soon. you so much. Okay, God bless friend? you, Dave. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. God bless you, yes, and sir. good luck, man. Take my advice. You will, you, you will yes, make sir. it happen, I promise. Thank you so much.